Hey everyone, you're listening to Tobin Tuesdays brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. Today is March 12, 2019, and I'm your host, Joe Gonzalez. On today's episode, we have some post-UMSU general election coverage, including comments from President re-elect Jacob Sanderson, UMSU chief returning officer Darius Hunter, and LGBTQ asterisk rep Trevor Smith. We also have a story from the University of Winnipeg Students Association and a quick interview with 15 in Fairness U of M chapter organizer James Wilt. With that being said, let's get to it. UMSU's recently elected LGBTQ asterisk community representative has said two consecutive years of campaign poster tampering has left him feeling unsafe on campus. Trevor Smith said he noticed his posters had been removed in four different spots on campus during the UMSU campaign period, something he believes was done on purpose. Our news and managing editor, Malak Abbas, sat down with Trevor to hear his comments on the matter. In a lot of cases, my posters have been torn down um, where... You know, it's like, I know it's not the tape because like Brandon Wozniak and I sort of put up our posters together in the same spot with the same tape. Mm -hmm. And then like my poster is missing. And I think like four different spots uh, in the university that I've noticed so far. So that happened this year, this year. Yeah. And you believe that it's done purpose, like purposefully towards you. Uh, Yeah. Like what the motivation is, I can't say for sure, Mm -hmm. but It's places where, like, all the other candidates' posters are still up, except mine is missing. So, I mean, I don't have competition, so it's not just, like, you know, like, a really, like, heated election where, like, my my competition is tearing down my poster. So, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you can attribute any sort of meaning to that, like, why someone would go out of their way to take down my poster, but it has happened in multiple cases. Like, the first time I noticed it, I was just like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, it's not like it fell down. Your Mm -hmm. poster's still up. All the other posters are still up. Um, But then I started to notice it more in different places. Um, You want to explain the incident last year with the posters? Yeah, for sure. So um, during the election, I was running as uh, the LGBTQ representative for the Arts Student Body Council. Mm-hmm. And um, my campaign was characterized as aggressively gay. Um, <laughs> like I had my rainbow hat, um, like a giant rainbow hat. And then I had um, like a very flamboyant poster. You know, it's pink. My rainbow hat is in it as well. Um, sort of like very unapologetically like LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Basically, what ended up happening was I didn't notice anything during uh, the course of the election, but then um, at the end when we all had to take our posters down, uh, one of the posters I noticed had like my eyes gouged out and like a slit across my throat on the poster when I noticed it. How did you feel coming across that poster? At first, I don't know, I didn't really know how to feel at first. I felt really, um, like at first I kind of laughed. Because it's just like, God, like, who would do this? Um, And then sort of as I was holding it, and I posted on social media just as, like, yo, this happened, um, it sort of, like, started sinking in a little bit more that I didn't really feel safe on campus. And, and like, what does this mean? Like, is this a personal attack on me, like, who I am? Or is this, like, an attack on my flamboyant poster, my rainbow hat, the fact that I'm running for the LGBTQ position. So, yeah, so I I felt unsafe and kind of like this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach just kind of like 
like creepy like because you don't know who on campus did it or what their intentions were so yeah I felt kind of scared a little bit nervous um but also in a sense I guess empowered because especially when we're looking at this year too and the advent of the um it's okay to be white posters being sent out everywhere Mm -hmm. um yeah I really feel like it makes me want to represent the community even stronger if that is what happened as far as like it being more against the community than against me as an individual right um you said uh, at that time you didn't feel safe on campus. Right. Um, would you say you feel that way today as a LGBTQ person, like, on campus? For sure. So it hasn't... The feeling hasn't really left me. Um, I haven't encountered any other incidents um, that really sort of make me feel one way or the other like I'm not seeing anything that makes me feel safer I'm not seeing anything that makes me less safe so it's just sort of that lingering feeling of I don't know who did this like I don't know who sent those posters out um what any sort of like political intentions might be or um how people feel about certain minorities and whatnot Mm -hmm. so so yeah it's just sort of that lingering feeling of like I don't know if I should feel safe or not Mm -hmm. so so yeah it's tough to answer just because on one hand it's like nothing further has happened to me personally although I definitely can respect the fact that a lot of groups who were targeted by the it's okay to be white posters um indicated that they felt unsafe but for me personally it's more so like uh the poster being vandalized and now too with like my posters being taken down like why are they being taken down Mm -hmm. so so yeah i i do feel a little bit unsafe if and a someone who you know identifies under the lgbtq uh, umbrella if they are made to feel unsafe in any way on campus what would you personally recommend that they do for sure so what i'm going to do is um as far as the community funding initiatives going forward um, the community representatives are need, going to need to host sort of town halls to um, get feedback from the community uh, in order to obtain the funding from UMSU for different initiatives. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would want to do. So um, get the community together, see is this sort of like an isolated thing? Like, am I the only one who feels this way? There can also be safety issues for. Um, like trans uh, non-binary folks as well sort of like um, like which washroom they use on campus and whatnot like safety could be an issue in that sense as well Mm -hmm. so ultimately um, just getting feedback from the community and then um, being able to escalate those voices uh, to the board your umsu led by incumbent candidate Jacob Sanderson, has swept the 2019 UMSU general elections. Sanderson took 3,098 ballots, or 51.3% of the vote, beating out exists late presidential candidate Annie Beach and new UMSU's Jake Letwin, who took 1,666 and 1,278 votes, respectively. There were 361 abstentions. Sanderson's executive will be made up of Vice President Student Life Jalen Dela Cruz, Vice President Community Engagement Kyra Fanning, 
Vice President Advocacy Sarah Bonapru, and Vice President Finance and Operations Mabuli Machi. Sanderson, Bonapru, and Machi are returning for a second term. The Year Umsu slate pulled in around 50% of the votes for every executive position. New Umsu trailed in second for every position except Vice President of Finance and Operations. Here are Jacob's comments after the results were tallied. Um, it was extremely exciting. Um, I think it... Honestly, I, it was... As, as incredible as the feeling was the first year, I think this year is even more exciting, um, even more empowering. I think that it, it shows that the students have faith that we're on the right track. Um, to, to not uh, only be um, privileged enough to win this election, but to win with a majority of, of voters, um, or a majority of the voters, um, I think is extremely exciting, and I think it provides this union with a really strong direction. We have a lot of stuff that we've been um, putting a lot of work into this year, and we're so excited to be able to continue that. And we're just incredibly excited to start off another year with a full team. What's uh, the first order of business? Um, honestly, the first order of business is to get some sleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's been an incredibly taxing couple of weeks, physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, I, I think it, it's, it's clear not only... Um, to me personally, but campus-wide, that um, uh, that there's there's so many engaged students on this campus. We had, I'm pretty sure it was the highest voter turnout in MC history. Um, really? It, it's certainly the highest in in my memory, anyway, yeah. and the highest since we've gone to online voting. Yeah. Um, so I think we have so many incredibly engaged students, and I think it's just going to be, um, you know, we, we want to try and unite as many of those students as possible. Um, behind a common goal. We're in a very challenging time. Um, we're, we're in a province right now that, that does not wait for our election results when it comes to um, announcing a budget like just yesterday. Yep. Um, that is going to be extremely crippling to many students at the University of Manitoba. So um, we're going to enjoy this for the weekend and we're going to come back to work on Monday um, along with Sarah and Bully and uh, Kyra and Jeline are I think very excited to get into their transition and we're going to be um, all hands on deck I'm trying to represent students as well as we can in a really challenging um, period for students. Rule breaking, Instagram poaching, and even collusion. Two weeks of UMSU election campaigning saw 10 submitted complaints. Violations of election rules are expressed in a demerit system. Demerit points are decided on the ruling of the union's chief returning officer, or CRO, after a complaint is filed. If any one candidate receives 50 demerits, they are automatically disqualified from running. Out of the seven complaints published online so far, the new UMSU slate received 65 demerits and the exist slate received 10. Your UMSU, which went on to sweep the executive election, received no demerits. UMSU's chief returning officer, Darius Hunter, gave his thoughts on the election as a whole from the perspective as CRO. I'm just, I'm working on a quick article that just sort of like, uh, is a rundown kind of of like the complaints that were brought, like sure. brought forward to, uh, during the UMSU elections. Um, sure. Did this feel like an UMSU election season that had like an especially high number of complaints or an especially low number? I think this year, if I, if to make commentary on this, um, this year, I, I feel or felt as if there was more um, complaints. I don't know if that's necessarily a fact. Uh, I don't have the data from years prior, but what I will say for sure um, is that the complaints felt more strategic on everyone's end. 
um, it, I felt that perhaps um, the system was being utilized so as to hinder people, not for the basis of just pointing out rules being broken. I took time. I think in years prior, from what I heard from a few of the candidates, is rulings were made almost immediately and sometimes without getting the narrative of the other party. Um, I made it, um, I put it as a priority to make sure that all parties were able to speak regarding certain issues, um, regarding all issues that came forward, actually, really, all issues that came forward, I wanted to make sure that everyone had their um, say in what they believe happened, if they believe that rules were contravened or not, um, and if maybe they had a, a, an excuse or a reason that, you know, you know, they missed a meeting, therefore they didn't know posters weren't allowed in this place, or, you know, they were unaware that um, you weren't able to do something on some other grounds or if they missed a morning meeting because their fish had died I, I don't know what it would have been yeah. right but I would prefer to hear that before saying oh automatic this or you know what to me this looks fishy so I'm going to give them demerits I wanted I wanted to be well-rounded in that sense you know relative to everything that happened it was I'd say a pretty um clean election um in terms of people's uh strategies I think the only thing my only concern was that yeah the complaint system I think made some work um just on the on the basis of specific things like i would i have a lot of recommendations for next year that i hope will be implemented and uh, it, it, that what, way it'll uh, lead to less less weaponizing of the complaint system what a what's an example of like a recommendation that you yeah for sure i i really hope that next year amsu works collaboratively collaboratively with the uh, faculties uh to create designated postering areas mm-hmm. um so, you know, working with, let's say, the Faculty of Arts to say you can only put posters on this wall in Fletcher Argue, or you talk to Asper and they say only on this one or two bulletins, right? You know, size willing. I mean, it's not, this isn't a, um, a perfect solution to issues with putting posters up and around, but um, it definitely would remove a lot of... Uh, the, the concerns and like I said the sort of pet, the, uh, the the petty calling out of, uh, of of different things you know like I said like I think the most important thing maybe in this case to note is I do think that we were we are no longer at the point where people are um, utilizing um, the rules in a sort of subtle sense to kind of jab at people I think um, as tensions grew so did the complaints and so did the level of complaint and the you know the uh, looking at it from like I said, utilizing the system in, in such a way that is meant to hinder rather than to, you know, create a fair, equitable um, election, right? right? So I think that that needs to be reworked. I think that's the sort of major takeaway about the complaints this year is that we need to look at the system in a, in a, in a broader sense and um, and create ways or to avoid um, utilizing complaints. Because ide- an ideal election, in my opinion, would have uh, no complaints whatsoever, Right, mm-hmm. and would, we wouldn't have to have that. Um, but from again, like I, I think that just the nature of the student politics and the nature of um, these elections creates a hostile environment, which it really shouldn't be. Um, and then that lends itself to utilizing the system as a way to to creating a more difficult uh, creating a more difficult election for your um, for your opponents. So. The University of Winnipeg Student Association has made history after voting in an executive slate comprised entirely of women of color. The UWSA Empower slate is led by Megan Malcolm as president and Malette Cuff, Noelle Sager, and Natasha Reimer as vice president external affairs, vice president student affairs, and vice president internal affairs, respectively. 
Our news and managing editor, Malak Abbas, spoke with Megan to talk about the win. To my knowledge, um, what I've seen just through social media and all over the place was that uh, this election made U of W history for being uh, the first executive election to be swept by women of color. Yes, yeah. Yeah, UWSA, yeah, it is true. And it's also the first uh, indigenous woman that's uh, the president. So, And then we're uh, all, all women of color as well. How uh like how did um how did you guys find out that that was the case that you were the first like all women of color like to sweep and win the elections? Um, well, at first it was like like um through people that were telling us like I didn't I didn't know that was true at first until um there there is a thing on the U- UWSA um Facebook that posted it. Oh okay, well. I see. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did you how did you feel when you found out that you and you know your team made history in this way? Uh, at first, it didn't feel real, and I didn't realize the like how big it is. Yeah. Um, like like just even I think just getting elected as president would still be um, have a big responsibility, but be, when people tell you like oh you're the first this, it adds a lot more pressure, right? And I think because we are all women of color, that this is really important to in order to change the system because you know we weren't originally like supposed to uh, succeed and thrive in these institutions. So I think it allows. For us to represent the student body, it, it, we can like empower other students and to support them in ways that if we if we weren't in these spaces, we couldn't. Do you uh you mentioned like feeling extra pressure because, you know, of of being a group of women of color in this position of power? Um, mm-hmm. could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So what I mean by that is like are other like is there gonna be like more people that are gonna be like critical on us right because you know this this is the first the university hasn't hasn't ever seen this before right just for a a bit of uh i guess context uh i guess we had a slate here that ran on the uh i guess yeah i would say so that more so because they ran under you know they talked a lot about advocacy and they talked about all being you know from marginalized groups or being people of color um, and, uh, there was, like, they didn't win, but there was definitely, like, especially through social media and stuff, there was obviously some interest. Um, why do you think, uh, but they, like, they didn't win. Why do you think at the UW, or that the U of W, or with the UWSA, there was, uh, they were quicker to, you know, I guess vote in a, a group of people who were platforming on advocacy first, if that makes sense. Do you, do you think the U of W or the UWSA, well, I guess, I don't know, it's, it's, I'm not sure how much knowledge you have of the U of M and the U of M yeah. Student Union. I know that, I mean, I would, well, my slate and I have been, like, talking about it and, uh, like, about the recent um, student election, and, uh, you know, it's disappointing that they didn't get in. Um, maybe, you know, that this will make other, I'm thinking, like, other people more aware that, that there are issues that need to be resolved because I know that like this year that there was like different cases that were that arised right yeah if you were let's say because I think you guys ran on a pose but let's say you were running against another slate or competing with another mm-hmm. slate what mm-hmm. would set you apart what did you advocate for kind of so we advocated for like a sports for 
uh, BIPOC, so that's like Black, Indigenous, student, uh, students of color. So we wanted to make uh, these students feel supported on the university. Like they want, uh, we, and then we also want to work closely like with all student groups. Um, we have one, uh, one slate member, Natasha Reimer, that created a thing called Foster Up. So she does a lot of uh, uh, advocacy work with uh, students that are in foster care. Right. Or, or what's in foster care. Yeah. What's uh, what's your, I guess, first order of business as UWSA president? I'd really like to continue advocating for Indigenous languages through the Reconciliation Action. Um, so by that, I'd like to create either Indigenous language diploma or degree, and I'd also like to have more resources for mental health, because I understand that being in university, it can be rewarding and challenging, so I want to have more awareness on campus. And I'd also like to create a bursary around the health fund, because, um, you know, what if people don't have their other means of insurance and they have children? So I think what we, how we could do this is through a lot of so when students pay their tuition, they can have, maybe, maybe it's just 25 cents, but times up by 10,000 students, so that will generate more money to put into the bursary. Working students who feel unfairly treated by their workplaces were met with an empowering message in Umsu University Center recently, that they are not alone. The fight for $15 in Fairness Manitoba U of M chapter tabled on campus March 5 and 8 to collect signatures on a petition calling for the province to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour. The current minimum wage in Manitoba is $11.35 an hour, increased in October from $11.15. The Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives calculated the living wage in Winnipeg for 2016-17, or the wage a family with two parents working full-time must make to meet their basic needs, to be $14.54 an hour. The group is part of a larger movement across the U.S. and Canada. Along with pushing for increasing the minimum wage, advocates also call for improved employment standards and stronger benefits for low-wage workers. Freelance journalist and Fight for $15 in Fairness U of M chapter organizer James Wilt was on campus collecting signatures and speaking with students. Our news reporter, Ty Brass, spoke with James to hear his comments on the movement. Um, so could you just start with giving a bit of a broad explanation on what your group is and what you're doing here today. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're a student group uh, called Fight for 15 in Fairness, and so it's part of like a much uh, bigger group spanning North America, um, but we're just a student chapter of that. And so what we're trying to do is get the minimum wage raised to $15 per hour. We're trying to improve working conditions, and we're also trying to improve access to unions. And so we're trying to engage with students because uh, this is an impact that uh, this, is, this is something that impacts a lot of students, um, and I think a lot of people have experienced uh, working minimum wage or low wage jobs. And so, just trying to get the word out there and uh, increase uh, support for it. So, yeah, that's what we're doing today. How's your response been from students? It's so been great. Far? No, it's been really good. Um, we've had people who will come and sign, and then they will like call their friends over or tell their friends, and then they'll come. Um, we've had just people tell us stories about, uh, you know, working low wage jobs or whatever, and how it, it's it's just so difficult to juggle that and. Um, having to pay, you know, rising tuition costs and all that kind of thing, rising housing costs. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I think it's been really good, and you know, we we have conversations with people who might be skeptical or have questions about it, um, which is good. So it's an opportunity to answer some of those questions about, 
you know alleged impacts on jobs or inflation or that kind of thing and so to kind of help dispel myths and everything but the response has been amazing so yeah why did you join yourself I've worked minimum wage jobs in the past and just from that experience alone it's just like you know being in that spot it's very very difficult to make things work so I worked at cafe jobs for like four or five years and just you know it's near impossible to you know pull off a 35 or 40 hour work week and pay all the all the bills and then have time to actually enjoy oneself as well so based on that and then as a student at the university I just looked around I realized that this is a really great spot to connect with other people who have probably had similar experiences so yeah is there anything else is there anything you might want to say to students who you haven't been able to talk to today or anything you might want to tell them about just Anything you might want to say? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, there's there's the upcoming provincial election, and the Manitoba PCs are obviously uh, in power and, and not very sympathetic to the to the idea of a higher minimum wage. But that's why we see the sort of the grassroots nature of this campaign being formed by students and low wage workers really powerful, because the objective is uh, not to kind of appeal to a benevolent government that will like gift us this. It's like it's really to fight for it. So it's really to make um, a, a strong case based on the, the lived experiences of you know, dozens, hundreds of people. Um, and it would be amazing if people came down and signed the petition. Uh, we're always looking for more people to get involved in the in the student club itself um, to help out with tabling or postering or hosting events or that kind of thing. So if anyone is interested, like definitely get in contact with us. We have a Facebook group called Fight for 15 and Fairness Dash University Manitoba. So people can like that to, to stay up to, to date with what we're doing. So yeah. Okay, awesome. I, th I think that's all I need. And that should do it for today's episode of Tobin Tuesdays, brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. Once again, the interviews you heard today were provided by Malak Abbas and Ty Brass. The intro and transition music was produced by Kenny Ingram. And the entire episode was produced and hosted by me, Joe Gonzalez. A reminder that all the interviews you heard today, you can read about in the stories available in the upcoming issue of the Manitoban. Tobin Tuesdays is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to check us out to find our old episodes, as well as subscribe so you don't miss a future one. As always, we have our own show page on the UMFM website, where you can find all of our episodes there as well. On behalf of the Manitoban, we thank you for listening, and we'll hope you tune in next week. Peace.